tuning in. We'll see you again next week. afternoon. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm Tia Hetzel and today um, I am absolutely delighted (laughs) to have Ross Gay here in the studio with me um, down here at WCBN Pride A um, and Jason Voss behind the glass and thanks to DJ Lamb Chop for um, her always excellent program. (laughs) Um, I can't feel I, I feel like we're the luckiest we've got the luckiest spot here um uh, after her um today i've got the book on the table with us well we've got a few but the latest the book of more delights um out with algonquin press this september on the table with us we also have the book of delights which um I was saying just before we came on air to Ross, I believe is a a modern American classic. (laughs) And we have Inciting Joy, um, another collection of Ross's essays earlier. I think it was 2019. And Beholding, um, a book of poems, an epic poem, a very long and wonderful poem on the table with us, too. Ross, you've got other books there, too. What what did you bring? This is the... The book of more delights without the cover on it. Ah, <laughs> oh, it is so, <laughs> and so it is. Yeah, <laughs> and then, um, and then one of the copies of uh, Inciting Joy as well. And then this other book is it's by Juliana Spar called This Connection of Everyone with Lungs that I'm reading. Which is oh, beautiful. oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for also letting us know what you're reading. Yeah, yeah. This is the book in your your yeah, bag right, right now. Second, yeah. Yeah. One of them, yeah. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Austin. I'm so glad to be here. And coming to Ann Arbor on yeah. the, the winter month of December. Yes, it's a um, real place in December, isn't it? It's well. How, is it is it much different than Indiana? Or it's just how? a little bit colder. But I do remember partly. I sort of think of the one of the last times I was here. It would have been maybe it would have been in like January. Or February, but it could have been the fall. I can't remember. But I think, and I may have mess, may, made this up, but I think it was the coldest day in the history of Ann Arbor or something. Oh, I no. think I remember it being was like, it like negative. The polar vortex. It or might something? have been, yeah. And it was like I think I think it was oh, negative no. eighteen that day. I think. Oh no. I think. Oh well, this is balmy. Oh, it's balmy. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that was the. D- I remember that they were saying for students and us to get to class, they were like, "Where you? Maybe you should wear safety goggles." <laughs> and we're like, "Okay." Whoa, or so it would okay. be nice if that was like a welcome pack. Yeah, that totally. you got, you know, <laughs> right. you came here. That's so great. I, I mean, I think it. the scientists were all like, finally. Right, yeah, right, this right. is like, we're, we're, we've been telling you we're more prepared than you now you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, 
Well, and also just a, a quick shout out. Thanks to folks listening and um, to poet Katie Hartsock, mm. who um, just sent a text to let us know she'd be listening and um, and remembering a, a panel in Youngstown, Ohio, yeah. um, that that you all did. And you yeah. and you remember that one? What is oh, it yeah. about Youngstown? <coughs> I was born in Youngstown. You so and yeah. that's you okay. When I was reading about that, I thought you might have moved there from somewhere else, but obviously yeah. I'm wrong. So you were yeah. born in Youngstown. Yeah, so I was and born in Youngstown okay. and then moved when I was, I think probably, I was like two. My dad worked at Pizza Hut and then we, so we would just move around like Pizza Huts that he was working at. So it was kind of the Northeast Ohio, Ohio, Illyria, Painesville, um, one other, like Stowe. I think Stowe was a little town up there. And then we moved outside of Philadelphia. And that's where really where I grew up. But I have a lot of family still in Youngstown. So when I go there, um, and between the time actually that I started writing this book and now there's there were four of my elders, my father's um, aunts and uncles and mother um, were alive. And now there's one left. So it was a three-day festival, the Youngstown Literary Festival, lovely literary festival for anyone who's around um, and want to go down there. And um, it's not a far trip. No, it's, it's not like, far. What, five hours. I bet. Maybe yeah. Or so. Yeah. And um, so I got to spend a lot of time with my aunt and and also do this great festival. Is that that where your um your your uncle, who's the doctor, That's, lives? Is no, he, he lives in Philly, but he's oh, he was, he's oh, okay. part of that Youngstown That's family. Okay. Yeah. 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 It's my dad's family from there. Because I know he he figures into inciting joy right. at the beginning with. That's yes. right. Yeah. Um, well, well, Ross, how this is a week. You have a week residency, yeah. as it's called here. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you finding your residency so far? Um, it's great. You know, I'm just um, meeting with students, so getting you know familiar with grad student work here, and which is you know quite like grad student work work where I teach. Um, so I'm on sabbatical this year, um, partly because I'm on tour like a, kind of a thorough tour with this book of more delights and yeah so it's just kind of cool to get to hang out with students in a way that i haven't actually done too much this semester um see what people are working on what they're thinking about you know just think together about some words for a little bit it feels kind of fun we're so it's i feel like everyone now i'm going to try to speak for everyone which is <laughs> always a good thing to do right? but, <laughs> i was going to say we're so lucky to have you here this mm. week thanks for coming yeah i'm glad to, to be Michigan. here yeah um, i you, love it here you're you're doing a reading tomorrow yeah. at the art museum at uma oh okay at helmet stern auditorium that's okay great that, yeah okay that's what that's it's called okay. that's right <laughs> <laughs> i know it's tomorrow <laughs> and so that'll be tomorrow I, I think it's, well, I should have looked this up to be sure, 5 or 5.30? Yeah, yeah, it's one of those. I'll, I might have it in a piece of paper but, here that I'll look at. So we can, Okay, we'll do yeah. that at the break. Ross, yeah. we've already got a thing to, <laughs> to do. And then you're you're giving a craft talk Yeah, I think on well. 10 o'clock maybe the following morning. In in Angel Hall. Oh, you got and it. That's, and I did know that was okay. 10 a.m. I <laughs> knew that it. one. Okay. Um, and that, yes, that'll be in room 3222. Um, the I, I think the Goldstein uh, room. Yeah, okay. So, um, I think. Uh, but I know it's room 322, everyone. Um, 3222. It's got an extra two, it yeah. seems. But okay. um, <laughs> it's the lucky number two. Um, so, Ross, yeah, I'm obviously a bit too giddy to have you here. I'm going to settle down and read your bio Great. from the back of the Book of More Delights. Great. Ross Gay is the author of the essay collections, The Book of Delights and Inciting Joy, and four books of poetry. The recipient of numerous writing awards, he lives in gardens in Bloomington, Indiana, 
where he also teaches at Indiana University. His website is rossgay.net. So, Ross, let's let's start with the Book of More Delights. Yeah. Um, and early on, um, in the beginning, you, you talk about how it came to be. Because mm-hmm. uh, you're actually thanking a friend yeah. for, I think it was taking place in Marfa, Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah could you take us to that? And Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was um, with my friend Patrick Rosal, who's a, a beautiful poet, um, among other things. Um, he's also writes beautiful essays and um, composition, musical compositions and can dance and <laughs> lots of other stuff too. But anyway, uh, he and I were at the Lannan Foundation thing in, in Marfa where they put you up for a little bit. And... As and we were together while I was concluding the first book of the delights. And for those of you who don't, um, for your listeners who don't know what that book is, it's effectively um, every day for a year I decided to write a short essay about something that delighted me. And um, so I was there. I decided to do it from August first to August first, my birthday to my birthday. I'm a Leo. (laughs) 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 And um, I was there until we were there until about August eighth or something. And when I finished it, Pat said, are you going to keep going or what are you going to do? And I hadn't yet quite puzzled it all out. But talking to him, um, it made me think, I think it was I think it was there, if not there, it was shortly after. But it was definitely with his prompting and his question. Uh, I thought, oh, this is a kind of project that I could do every five years or something. You know, at the time, I might have thought every three years or every five years or every seven. I don't know. But. For now, it's every five years. Um, so the second one came out, or I wrote it five years later, So, which was interesting because I started the first one, I think, on my 42nd birthday. Then I started this one on my 47th birthday. Um, so it's just like sort of a an interesting project, sort of watching how things change. And actually, when you do a project over five years, how one of the primary subjects is a- aging, actually. Yes. Yeah, and that's kind of neat. And it, it'll be... Um maybe aging and generous for you to be able to share that with folks, especially if this is a project that you really do every five years. Yeah. 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 Does does it feel like, like, yeah. What does that feel like to think forward like that and think about aging? And yeah, I mean, I'm reading right now, um, Ann Waldman's book, Bard Kinetic. It's a, it's a memoir. And she she's, talks, she's amazing. She's amazing. She's amazing. And I love her work and I love her spirit and her like work, what she does. And um, I uh, was reading um, in there and she's talking about her book, Yovis. I think is that how you say it. Um, and it's massive. It's massive. And I think it was sort of like a 25 year project. <laughs> yes. Yes, I think it is. And I, yeah. and I just love that. Um, I mean, I have it and it's gigantic. It's like, you know, and I love that what's the word it's a kind of endurance in a in a artistic endeavor in any kind of endeavor but like an artistic endeavor is really really interesting to me you know and so um i while i was kind of you know thinking about this book as it was finishing up i was like oh you know i love like robert motherwell's uh, elegy to the spanish republic series like paintings uh, versions of paintings that he made for i don't know 20 or 30 years i guess there's probably hundreds of them I'm so interested in that. I'm interested in people who sort of keep on trying to reiterate in a certain kind of way the same thing or like the long durational project, I think is how you say it. And um, 
so I, I'm interested very much in the idea of like, what would it look like if, you know, if, um, depending if I live another five years, I get another one of these in. If I live another 25 years, I get another five of these in. That's interesting to and me. And five more? I'm thinking there's yeah, a, there's totally, more. Totally, totally. Yeah. yeah, so that's an interesting project, just in terms of like, what does it mean to sort of follow someone's thinking in a serious way over the course of their lives? And so, because it is, like the, the project itself is... A short, a short essay. Yeah. It's very, it's loose. It's yeah. loose constraints. Yeah. But every day, yep. um, some of them may not be included. There yep. are some days that are skipped for yep. for like different reasons. You yeah. Say in the yeah. Book. And there are con- the constraints are to write them every day, write them by hand, and write them quickly, thirty minutes or less. Draft them thirty minutes or left less. So I probably wrote, you know, I don't, you know, I don't do every day, but I get pretty damn close. And on this book I probably wrote 350 so and there's 81 or something in the book or 80 I don't know um so so how, you know how do you choose them well you know partly I was trying to figure out how not to be you know redundant because if you're writing something every day you're going to kind of get into grooves and um or well and for good reason too because there's things that we're mulling over totally totally yeah 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 so that's part of the thing um, cause you're trying to make a book that's, you're trying to make a book, you know, cause that, you have that constraint, I yes. guess that vision. Yes, maybe. exactly. Exactly. And that part of it sort of comes after, after the writing. So after you're, after you've uh, written all this stuff, now you're trying to sort of decide what will make the best book. Um, so that includes, yeah, pulling out the redundancy stuff, you know, pulling out just some of the stuff you couldn't, I couldn't quite make into what I think of as interesting essays, you know, and one of the main barometers for that is if I, saw or had an experience that felt delightful and I kind of knew why it was delightful from the start I was just telling you why it was delightful probably not gonna be an interesting essay to me and why because the reason that I write I think um I think I can pretty safely just say this clearly is that I want to be transformed in the process of the writing so I want to have a I want to have a question I want to write from a question and I want the question to lead my my um to lead my writing, actually. So, which is also to say that a way that I like to put it now is that I like to be unmade by the writing. You know, I like to be unmade. And that's my aspiration. And when you just sort of say what you know, you're not really unmaking anything. You're sort of imposing something, you know. So that's sort of, that's the dream. <laughs> well, because it's this idea of then it's, it's alive because you're following your critical thinking, your yeah. mind, or your, your or your um, inventive yeah. mind to discover yeah. something that may not have already been, um, f- like there might have been observational or uh, like, but it not fully logged in yet. Yeah. You don't have a path to it necessarily. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and you're trying also to, um, you know, it's difficult to sort of. Um, sometimes it can be difficult to. Um, make something that, or or to sort of honor what we don't know, and value what we don't know. That can feel difficult sometimes, and so, but I think it's you know it's how we think best is really actually I think maybe that's a safe thing to say, is that we think best when we honor what we don't know, you know, um, and that probably pushes us into all kinds of realms in a certain kind of way. Um, but in terms of writing, that's that's one of my and teaching. It's one of my things. It's one of my hopes is to sort of be able to sort of be 
tenderly with what I don't know, you know. And when you say pushing us into all sorts of things, you mean th the realm of being human? Yeah, totally. I mean, when you don't know, you become suddenly sort of, um, um, you become more of a creature. Because <laughs> mostly we just don't know. Yeah. We mostly just don't know. And there's something so beautiful to me about the, you know, just sort of like being um, intimate with one's need or one as a, as a creature, which means one as, as a, um, a needing thing in a um, circuit of needing things. You yes, know? the and interdependence. The interdependence, yeah. And to be someone who, and so to be, some, to be capable or interested in um, learning as an act of unknowing oneself, you know? Yes. That then sort of implies, I think, um, that we might always be in that process in relation to one another, you know? Um, so yeah, writing, and you know, and there's another thing that to me, writing is um, very much a, uh, a process of getting to know oneself, by which I also really mean getting to unknow oneself. So it's a relationship with oneself as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was the writing that I'm interested in, I should say, I should say, you know, I mean, I could be interested in like a super, you know, kind of like down the middle biography too. That's just like telling a bunch of facts. I can be interested in that, but I'm really more interested in watching each other change. I'm more interested in how we witness each other change, you know, and that's kind of, um, that's kind of the aspiration. And the, the, the poems and the short essay, those feel like perfect forms for that. Totally. Because especially the short essay to make an attempt. Yes. Yes. Right? Like yeah. That, that, yeah. And in its and its origin. Yeah. Essays and, are attempts. And it feels like in you know so for so many years at least how we're all somehow, well you know, going to school public school system you're like the essay is this thing. Yes. And it's almost like a a vehicle, of. N not always regurgitation, but sometimes, <laughs> like, as you're taught, like, because there's so many constraints on yeah, it, yeah. and you're just meant to give back the same. Yeah. And it's not meant to be an honest attempt. It's meant to prove some sort of you were paying attention. Yeah, totally. But in a, like, a, a not, in, not in the way that you write about paying attention mm -hmm, in yeah. your books, in yeah, a very yeah. different controlled environment yeah. for specific purposes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be... Paying close attention means to be unknowing oneself constantly. It means to be being unmade. Because you're opening. You're always constantly. opening. You're always that means you're changing. But I think um, a kind of, you know, like an essay which sort of depends on the premise of the thesis, which you're going to prove, <laughs> that suggests a kind of fixedness. That suggests a kind of imposition of one's ideas upon the world. Um, and each other as opposed to this other thing which is like well what I don't know let me wonder you know that's sort of the hope to like wonder in, in each other's presence yes <laughs> you know and to care for that wonder yes and the wonder in it's the many ways of its yeah. meaning yeah 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 like wonder wonder like the noun does not exist um, absent unknowing right because do you say in your book Descartes yeah. Has the um I I'm getting confused about which one was yeah, is it yeah, in yeah. the most recent one, yeah. Ross? Does it bring us back to the book of more delights? Oh yeah, yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Let me see. I can find that. I can find that. Um 
Yeah, he. Um, 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 um. <laughs> it's in this. I think it's early on. Yeah, I found it. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, it's your book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I am. Uh, this is an essay in which I talk about. Maybe I'll just read the essay. Okay. Okay. It's called <laughs> The Full Moon. Friends, I am 47 years old, nearly a half century of living under my belt. And it was only today, reading about herbs and tinctures and planting schedules and various other astro-agronomical affairs, that I learned, I am so shy to admit it to you, that the moon wanes into blank. I knew it waxed into full, but the waning part into no moon, which they call new moon, somehow eluded me, which I'm guessing it didn't you. You probably learned it and kept it learned in fourth grade or something. Not me. For some reason, I was under the impression, clearly not the observational impression, that it goes from super bright, full, werewolves and such, to off, like hitting a light switch. I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, I'm only now learning this despite the fact that, among other things that might have hit me, like my eyes, despite the cognitive acrobatics I've been doing to keep my understanding in place, like not believing my eyes, I believe 1,000% that the moon, given as it affects the waves in the ocean and given as we are mostly ocean, affects us profoundly. The moon may have chosen a few of the words in that last sentence. I am all the way on that team and have been for a little while now, even though I was quite slow getting there, committed atheistico-materialist I aspired to be, pretending or hoping Everything was a machine that could be parsed and tinkered and decoded and conquered and possessed by the human intellect, figured out, I guess, myself especially, I wonder. No luck. What is that about? I mean, my God, I wonder if I would have been in my youth a congregant in the Bill Gates et al. Church of the Earth as a half-wit machine we can outsmart, i.e. lube up to make spin better and make a killing while pretending to do so. I really wonder. Maybe kinda I was, though wayward or black sheepishly, given as I could never not take my dreams seriously. Given as though I refused palm readers and astrologers and their occult ilk because I testified I didn't believe them. It's really because I believe them. Anyhow, alas, thanks to my boundless, bottomless, boundaryless ignorance. God damn and holy you know what. <laughs> Waxing and waning, have you heard? The world, again, is made to me anew, which in a certain kind of way, my friend Penelope explained to me, if I heard this right, is how Descartes thought about wonder. Wonder requires the novel, or the new, he said. He also evidently said wonder is without a companion or opposite emotion, the way happiness has sadness and excitement has lethargy, etc. In this and probably some other things I disagree with Descartes, it because wonder's opposite emotion is know-it-allery. The know-it-all's job is to put a stake in wonder's fat and gooey heart, nothing new under the sun, etc., which, of course, most everything is, new, or becomes so when we look longer or closer. And so, in addition to touching toes, expressing need, speaking in tongues, getting everything all over the place, wonder, being perpetually wonderstruck, is another thing the very young are our gurus at. It's why they walk so damn slow and never stop with the questions. 
<laughs> Thanks, Ross. You're welcome. You're very welcome. <laughs> so when we were talking about it and when you said, well, I'll read it. Yeah. Why, like, yeah, what was that moment where you're like, well. I know it's partly because I feel like I spend um, so much time sort of crafting these understandings or these questions. Um, and uh, and in a way, I can, I just, it feels like, okay, I know, I know how to say it in this essay. This essay says the question. <laughs> <laughs> better than better better than I'm going to be able to right now, you know. So when you say because so the constraint is thirty minutes. Yeah, drafting in thirty minutes. Drafting, yeah. right? So, but then you just said I've been the craft of it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So what does that look like for you? And I know it's not like it's every essay yeah. could be the same, probably. Yeah, but. that's right. It um. Yeah, so I think that's the first thing is that probably most essays it's quite a different. Thing. I mean, there's, you know, there's the sort of what I would consider the simple craft things of like working on the diction and getting the on the diction and getting the um, the language clear, quote unquote, and doing this and that. But then there is the deeper question of like how to make the essay surprise me, you know, how to make the essay, which probably a lot of my sort of default modes of writing are going to be um, out of a particular mode of knowledge. And how do I sort of. Um, how do I um, dig around inside of the essays so that I can kind of uncover the thing that I actually don't yet know? That's, which is hard to sort of explain how to do, how to do, but as an aspiration, I think it's it's understandable. You know, it's sort of like you know, um, I think of uh, I coached basketball for a while and I I still play a good bit of basketball, and there's all of these. Um, things that as a coach you're trying to get your players to do that they can't do and so you'll always be like even simple stuff like ball handling stuff like just doing figure eights like dribbling the basketball between your legs and figure eight and you're wanting them to go faster fast enough that they mess up go faster go faster if you're not messing up you're not learning anything you know so in a way like you're not on that edge you're, you're on that edge yeah you want to be sort of like learning something and in order to learn something you have to need you need to be willing to not know you know, it's like called practice is actually the word. Yeah, practice. <laughs> practice means you're doing what you don't know how to do, you know. Yeah. And like the daily practice of living. A daily practice of living. Yeah. Maybe like the to say that implies like, oh, right. It means to be sort of um, in communion with that which we do not yet know or do not quite know anyway. Which is to acknowledge what being um, ascension being is but which so much of it seems like many many things around us or our responsibilities or what our perceived duties are encourage us to do otherwise yeah totally totally yeah i feel like that's um to fit into a machine yeah absolutely you were to mention the the bill gates like how can we (laughs) yeah move it up to spin faster sometimes it feels like that for each of us as well instead of 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah i feel like um it is kind of neat being at, you know, I work at a university too. And universities are, um, are <laughs> a part of that, a part of that thing. A, a machine. Yeah. They're kind of turning the, turning wonder into a kind of, um, or I, maybe often obliterating wonder. I think especially at this time, at the end of the semester, sometimes mm-hmm. folks are feeling worn out Yeah, and with what's, you know, expected like to be 
maybe delivered at this moment yeah. or yeah. just the time that it takes to get to this moment in yeah. the semester. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And I like how you said it earlier, or I think you alluded to it anyway, the thing of like the regurgitation, the sort of like, you know, fill it up and then let me redeposit it, which is kind of a reference to this pedagogical theorist named Paulo Freire. And he talked about the banking system of education, I think is how he put it. But like, you know, you basically like the student's job is to sort of receive the deposits from the teacher and then they sort of return it. And right. yeah, there's some more interesting way of going about it. It's, it seems and banking makes it feel chilly, too, like totally. and, and it brings that realness, realism yeah. of it. Um, but I know that the, the ideal, right, is that and why we probably both want to be at a place like a university mm -hmm. and a built space of a university, mm -hmm. um, not, you know, a place itself with gathering people into it. Right. Um, is, is because I think like the, <laughs> we're supposed to be able to, like you, you, you say, I think an inciting joy, I think it's an inciting mm -hmm. joy, Russ, mm -hmm. like where we are interdependent. You can't yeah. pretend to not, you you're not doing it yourself just yeah. by your walking around everything is yeah. depend we all are dependent on yeah. everyone else the same with knowledge because what we're doing is trying to 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 add more to what we could the collective can know yeah that's the ideal yes yes but i guess sometimes it doesn't feel like that in well i think in practice it's often not that because i think in practice it's often um, it's about possession. It's about ownership. Power. Power. It's about distinguishing oneself. I mean, in a very simple way, school is, I mean, it's, it's many things. And it feels like for the most part, in a way, like when the most interesting, interesting things happen in school, when you're breaking the rules, you know, yes. that seems like <laughs> the thing. Because <laughs> so often the objective is, um, is simply you know, evaluation, evaluation, evaluation. It's simply a kind of reiteration of a hierarchical mode of life, of thinking, you know, kind of submitting to authority, on and on and on. And in fact, you know, like when it's interesting, it's it's not that. It's something else. It's this other thing, which is like, well, let us gather up and tend to our mutual um, needs. How about that? How about that? You know, <laughs> you know, the dream of, of the university, which I would say, and I don't mean and I don't mean the the I don't I'm not like a historian of the university. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about my right. experience in these places um, is to imagine that there is a way that we could all become self-sufficient, which is itself a lie. It's a brutalizing lie. Right. And it's part of a kind of mythology of purity, too. I think I think, you know, if you if you don't need anything, then you no longer have to be sullied by anything else. You no longer have to get close to anyone else. You no longer have to have your, your food touched by someone else. You no longer have to, all of these things. And in a way, it feels like um, the university is one of many things that would like us to imagine that that's not only a possible thing, but that's like a, a good thing to aspire to, a kind of needlessness. But needlessness is necessarily, a needlessness is a lie but to, and a fantasy, but the fantasy is also necessarily brutal because it means you're going to be outsourcing your need you're going to be like burying your need as opposed to being like oh i need yes. you we yes. need each other and acknowledging that <laughs> and each celebrating of the, and celebrating yeah. and that it, the value yes. of these different needs being met totally exactly exactly it's, yeah it's, that's and, and it feels like a practice it feels like a practice trying to figure that out 
you know, yes. like figure out not only like how are my needs at this very moment being addressed and, 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 you know, clearly like in ways that I could never even fathom, right. um, but also to sort of, you know, in practice be like acknowledging and um, loving of our needs in a way, you know, like I was, I think I was with some grad students the other night for dinner and we were talking about, Oh, we were talking about teaching. We were having this beautiful conversation about school, class and teaching. And um, I can't remember how it came up, but I was like, yeah, like one of the things that we want to, that's very difficult, but that you, in a great class, you want to get your students to be able to admit is that they're needy, that they actually need each other. That's that makes a very different um, gathering to form a type of community together. That's of, it. Um, talking to each other. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That changes Learning the scene from each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And being able to also I think it's the the instructor being able to step out of that to not need to be the one that's the conductor. Yeah. Or so. Yeah. Yeah. To just be part of the crew that needs shit. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. <laughs> that's gonna... so, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> Not because of that, but yeah. we're going to take a short break. Because, <laughs> you know, Ross, we usually break at the quarters, yeah. and we've just talked through the first one. So let's okay. hear some of them. Thanks for choosing today's music, Oh, too. yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, you've got living writers, everybody. Today on the program, Ross Gay is here. You could see how we could use a couple more hours I think but we've only got one before the <laughs> glorious sports but he, we've got the book of more delights on the table with us I'm T Hetzel we'll be right back three that's a magic number three. it's the magic number three. somewhere in this hip hop soul community was born three makes dub me, and that's a magic number. Difficult preaching is posthumous pleasure. Pleasure in preaching starts in the heart. Something that stimulates the music in a measure. Measure in the music, racing three parts. Casually see, but don't do like the soul. Cause seeing and doing are action for monkeys. Doing hip hop hustle, no rock and roll. Unless your name's Brewster, cause Brewster's a punky. Parents let go, cause it's magic in the air. Criticizing rap, so you're out of order. Stop looking, listen to the phrase and fret stairs. And don't get offended while Mace Dosi does your daughter. A dry camera roll system is now set. Fly around the store under Daisy Productions. It stands for the inner sound. Y'all in your Quebec that the action's not a trick, but showing up a function. Everybody wants to be a DJ, everybody wants to be an MC, but being speakers are the best, and you don't have to guess. Still, I so posse consists of three, and that's a magic number. Three. This here piece of the pie is not dessert, but the cost that we dine, and three out of every darn time, the effect is mmm, when the daisy grows in your mind. Showing true position, this here piece is kissing the part of the pie that's missing Where that negative number fills up your casualty Maybe you can subtract it, you can call it your lucky partner Maybe you can call it your adjective But odd as it may be, without my one and two, where would there be my three mates possibly? me And that's the magic number what does it all mean? Focus is formed by flaunt of the soul. Souls who form style gain praises by pounds. Comment on speakers who honor the scroll. Scroll written daily creates a new sound. Listeners listen because this here is wisdom. Wisdom of a speaker, a dove and a plug. Set aside a legal substance to feed them for now. Get them high off this dialect. Time is a factor. 
welcome back. If if you're just joining us, um, I'm so glad you did. Today, here in the studio, Roske is here. His book, The Book of More Delights, on the table with us. Um, and thanks to Literati for always having so many great books. Um, that's where I was able to pick up um, my copy um, as well. Um, so, Ross, The De La Soul, yeah. why'd you choose that one for today? <laughs> I just love De La Soul so much. I've been listening, um, kind of getting back deep into them. One of their, one of their, the sort of basically three, three guys, and one of them, True Goy the Dev, um, died coming up on a year ago, not quite a year ago, but, and um, he's 54, I think, young guy. Oh, yeah. And um, he was such a, Many things. I love their music for so many reasons. But I, as I was sort of just like thinking hard about him, I was sort of realizing how, um, how important they were actually to my sort of development as a writer. Am I thinking about like being an artist and stuff? Um, I never in a million years, uh, that's not true. I never in a hundred years would have, <laughs> would have thought about that. I just wasn't, I just loved their music. But then I was started after he died, I started like restudying and just like looking at the videos in a hard way and looking at like what they were doing. And I was like, oh, that that crew, but him in particular, they kind of there was something that they were modeling for someone like me that I don't, I'm not even yet able to articulate it. But um, but among the things I can articulate something which was like a kind of sense of parody and a sense of the. Um, a sense of irony, actually, that um, that I hadn't thought about in their music. Um, you know, so people don't know De La Soul. Their probably their first record was ninety. I mean, um, nineteen eighty-eight or eighty-nine. It's called um, Three Feet High and Rising, and um, the second one is De La Soul is Dead. There's so much play in what they're doing, um, and a kind of play that I think that I was, even though I didn't know I was learning, even though it took me until now to realize, like, oh, I was learning some of that from De La Soul. Now I'm like, oh, of course I was learning some of that from De La Soul. In addition to things like, you know, style and fashion and um, other things. But this will play. Yeah, this sense of play. The sense of play while make, trying to make beautiful things. Yeah. And and so and what how old were you? 13. Uh, 13. <clears throat> 13. So my memory is so deep of like having the tape of 3 Feet High and Rising, the first record that came out, and then the second one of uh um De La Soul is Dead in my um probably knockoff Sony Walkman, you Nice. Know? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Delivering newspapers at 5 in the morning listening to De La Soul while I was doing my little job it, almost, you know, every, every morning. And um, they were the only people I was listening to, but I was listening to them a lot and studying them, you know. Also at a time, and this is kind of interesting for this show, at a time when I didn't read books at all. I wasn't into books or any, nothing like that. So, but this was, you were reading these texts. I was reading their lyrics so yeah. closely. You know, them and Tracy Chapman and yes. Public Enemy and, you know, other folks. This time, Totally, yes. totally. That that time i i'm older than you ross uh -huh. and i was i got to take like i think my senior year of high school an art class like i was able to finally take one uh -huh. and we had to work in acrylics and i think the assignment was something like make an album cover oh. and i made it for de la soul you did yeah oh my god <laughs> that's the <laughs> best thing amazing, ever right? oh my god i don't know i don't know 
I don't know if they would have liked it because it had like these neon palm trees. Oh my god! Yeah. Anyway, that's incredible. Anyway, anywho. Yeah. So (laughs) that's my love for them. But you're saying 5 a.m. You're also out, like listening to these these songs as you're you're doing your job, like a paper, right? Um, Yeah, and it's it's interesting to think that we're we're not. Like, no one is there saying, Ross, look at the way you're absorbing and processing the world. Look at the things you are reading. Like, sometimes we're getting this, this is the way you read. This is the way you learn. This is the way. And it's in these... um, these supposedly neat packages, which never are, because yeah. class is often always chaotic, yeah. and what's happening in your mind is makes it doubly everyone's so, mind, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, now when I talk to young people or work with young people, I'm always like, "You were studying in ways you have no idea." Exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> and it might take you like thirty years to know what you were studying, but you were studying. You know, you were studying something, you know, even if all you did was spend your time trying to get out of class. That's a practice. That's a strategy. That's a yeah. strategy. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it probably taught you stuff. Uh, it reminds me of one of the people you write about. I think, could it be Cootie in yeah. here? Uh-huh. Whose real name is, his government name is something else. But he would, one of the jobs he would do would be to just change the a level of the pipe. Oh, that's my buddy, uh, Skeeter. It was his, oh, so different. Okay, yeah, totally. okay, okay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He had a job at Minneapolis, <laughs> you know, pipe and rod or something. And he would, <laughs> and he was on a line, uh, you know, like a, um, uh, whatever the line is, the line. And he would, um, they had to like feed these rods into a, into a machine that would then, I think, kind of bundle them up and keep them going to the next station and he knew how he could like just feed it wrong just just perfectly so that no one could tell he did it and so it would jam the machine and shut everything down for like an hour or two that, and then he would have like a, a, a rest yeah he'd right? have to, he and everyone rest. else would have a rest I think that's so important oh my and, god and, it's yeah. so beautiful. it's such I love that story I love it because it's happening all the time it's happening all the time and you know and you're and I think another friend then who may or may not be within the same world that you create in the short essay um then uh, the friend is a teacher of writing and he he sometimes does in the workshop has his poetry students take a nap that's the same dude in class (laughs) same dude i was like this is revolutionary i'm telling you i'm telling you it was a class about dreaming like walking (laughs) dreaming writing or something and so like for you know a third of the semester or whatever like dreaming was a really big component so everyone's okay take a nap Uh, I, I love that. I know he's I, such an he's such a guide to me. He really is. He showed me so much about teaching and stuff. Uh, yeah. And it's so. Um, what what was it like for you as a, a young teacher? Because it feels mm. like you're a natural. Mm. You know. Um, I might be. I might be a natural. Um, but I sure as hell wasn't. Uh, I didn't act like it when I was teaching because I, like everyone else, was sort of in a panic about being evaluated. So I was yes. trying to be like all those things that I the words that I hear now and I just like laugh at them, but like rigorous and, you know, stern. And I like like the idea of I mean, I'm, I think I'm just by nature or I'm I'm sort of friendly in a classroom. Like I'm never like overtly um, mean, like I'm not like one of those people, but I did get a kick out of being like tough, you know, um, in ways. OK, and, so I'm surprised. Yeah. 
You have a surprise, you said? No, I oh, f- feel surprised. Yeah, totally. You say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and tough in various ways. Like, you know, I, I, you know, I came out of that era, that kind of workshop era, though it wasn't the culture that I kind of grew up in. Like where I went to grad school, I went to Sarah Lawrence, and it wasn't really a thing among the faculty there who were just lovely and brilliant and kind. Marie Howe and Thomas oh, yes. Lux and Gerald Stern and uh, Joan Larkin and David Rivard. Like it wasn't a place where, you know, like, you know, like people talk about some people who like like to like every once in a while rip up someone's poem. That was never happening. Where oh, I, that would be awful. I know, I know. Yeah. That was never happening. But there was a kind of performance of like you knew how to criticize really good. You know, you were a good workshopper if you knew how to criticize. Right. And then and Marie Howe also, if you're a minute late, don't come in the room. Oh, was she like that? Well, when well when I had because <laughs> <laughs> once I was, yeah. so I was like, Ooh, which oh, is yeah. not unusual for me. It's not like a new thing to be running a bit. Me too. Late. That's why I'm like, oh, maybe she got over that by the time <laughs> I got to her <laughs> because I would have been out of the room all the time. But um, but you know, so then you come. If that's you know one of the things of like being a good uh, workshopper, which is like not a thing to be. To be a good workshopper, I don't think that's an aspiration um, that anyone really needs to have. But to be a loving observer, unless and, we unless we redefine it totally, as yeah. a loving observer, a loving observer and and a curious person in regards to other people's work, that's something. But that seems different than like workshop because workshop implies that you like, you know, you get out your saw and you get out your little hammer and you like. <laughs> tool but the that's rest not of. how yours work. Not at all. Now it's just like get together. We're going to do these experiments. We're going to play. Often they're going to be collaborative and we're going to like make them and we're going to observe them and figure out what's the next one to make together. We're going to decide it together. And we're going to make a pile of stuff and it's probably going to be fun. It's probably going to be collaborative, (laughs) you know, and we're probably going to learn stuff that actually we, some of which will be like, oh yeah, that was sort of a practice in like metaphors or something. But some of it is going to be like, I'm not going to be sure what that was for another five years, but Mm. pretty sure when we made the movie that was impossible to make uh, based on the people who are writing an impossible screenplay, that's going to show us something, but we'll have to figure out like what that was. You know, I love that. Yeah, that's a real exercise. That's a real. First, we had groups got into groups of four or five, and we had to write an impossible screenplay, a screenplay that would be impossible to make. Yes. And then we turned it over. This, no one knew this, but we the next class we turned it over to another group of four or five, and it was like, now make the movie. So we had to make all these impossible movies. <laughs> and were folks like, were you making them like using your your phones or like yeah, what was the constraint? Or... It was just like, make it however you can. Make it however oh. you can. You know, make this impossible thing however we can. Because I, I do all the exercises too. Um, you do? Yeah. Is that part of your teaching yeah, totally. practice? Totally, totally. How so? Are you doing it in the moment with everyone? Or is it that you're changing every um, semester? You're making new... Um, well, this experiment you can't let go of. This is good. This you have to do again. It's a but good what one. is it like for you as a teacher? What does that yeah. mean? Well, like if we say if we're doing just like a very simple thing, which is like in class exercises of like, you know, writing 50 instances in which you were cared for today, say, we got, we're going to take the first hour of a three hour class. And that's what we're doing an hour yes. of writing 50 instances of how you were cared for today. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to do it too. And I'm going to share. And so we're all, but then when we have the impossible screenplay, I'm in a group. And I'm just going to chip in. And then when we make the movie, I'm in the group. And then we're going to make a movie together. <laughs> so it's not like I'm like, go forth and like do this impossible step. It's like, let's try. Together. <laughs> let's try yes. together. Yeah. 
And and the beautiful That's the best, isn't it? Being on, in on it. Oh my god. And then people are like there's so many things that um happen on account of that. One is that one is that you get to join your need with your classes. You know, and that it's no longer your class, it's our class. Yes. Yes. Huge. And don't you firmly believe that? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Um And the other thing is that um when you're doing these kind of writing exercises, it's so lovely, especially for like undergrads, when I'm doing it with undergrads, because they're like, oh, you're just like, you're just like a decent writer. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I like, see. What I wrote here today yeah, is it's like, oh, a lot I know. shinier <laughs> than that. Yeah, they're like, oh, that's all you make? You know, but that's so brave of you, too, then, right? Well, it's kind of, yeah, because I'm like, yeah, I I know how to revise. I know how to revise. (laughs) And I will. Yeah. And I will. Yeah. Because the, the, okay. But also, so I I don't want to move too much into revise until I, I just want to give you a shout out because I feel like this is connected to what you've been saying from the top of the hour, mm-hmm. Ross. Um, so your teaching is like your way of of writing, which is what you also had totally. said. It's it's what you believe, yeah. this philosophy of living, this yeah. unmaking yeah. Yeah. To, to be. Yeah. And and but in a classroom, that definitely takes um a real sense of yourself already Mm -hmm. because to be in that position is vulnerable and with some um scenarios um it could take a while for the class to understand how this works because it's maybe not maybe not the norm yeah yeah and because we also all have these um things beaten to our heads about rigor, stuff like that. And I remember, um, like, I, it feels important, too, to say, like, one, I remember wanting to move toward this, a kind of more experimental, fully collaborative class where we're not, like, just making poems for publication. We're not just, like, being right. little professional writers, right. but we're actually trying to do stuff we don't know how to do. You know, we're not trying to lock anything in. We're trying to, like, unlock everything. And I remember you know, feeling like, okay, this is what we're doing, and then feeling like, in a way, not brave enough to do it because I could kind of tell that there would be a person or a couple of people who are like, yeah, but this isn't serious. Really what I want to be doing is just like making poems that I can send to the Kenyan Review. And and I, I am absolutely indebted to the students who are like, yo, you got to keep doing the thing that you're trying to do. Students. Students who are like, yeah, like, we can do that anywhere. Right. You know, we can like figure out how to write for a Kenyan review anywhere, but we can't figure out how to like um, be together everywhere. You know, that's that's kind of like what we're trying to do. There's a quote by the writer Fred Moten that, that I love. Friend of the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, love Fred so much. And the, and he says at some point, he's sort of talking about teaching the, the poem Zong by M. Norbasi Phillip. And he says, it's a kind of an impossible poem to read to read, or to read alone. And so the reason, we have to get together in order to read it. And that's one of the things that's beautiful about, you know, a difficult text, but, a, but text period is that we get together to read them. And he says, we got to get together to figure out how to get together. <laughs> and it feels like that's what class is. Yeah. We're practicing gathering. It has the, the 
power, the possibility totally, to be that. Totally, yeah. And so, like, when we, whenever we're practicing, which I feel like takes a long, it's a long, I feel like it's the kind of thing that for as long as I'm teaching, I'll be, like, learning how to do it, you know. But same. It, same, yeah. So what are your classes like? No, this is about you. This okay, is okay, your. Okay. This is your <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in fact, let's, could we read, could, okay. well, could you read, Ross, okay, yeah. a poem? Yeah. Because... <laughs> <laughs> because I, um, because I, I um, I'm loving talking with you, and yeah. we talked to other breaks, so okay, maybe okay. we'll just mention some of the songs that folks would have okay, heard. Okay, okay, <laughs> close out with one of them. And this is this is great. So this is from this book called Beholding, and Beholding, Beholding, and it's it. You know, even from the title, you can kind of hear that it's probably getting toward what we're talking what we're talking about. You know, and um. There's a quote, actually, from Christina Sharp, who I believe is coming here next week. Um, her book, Ordinary Notes, just came out. But this is from her book, in, in the Wake, on Blackness and Being. And the quote is, to be held, to behold. To be held, to behold. That's the epigraph. Beholding, <clears throat> April 4th, 2015, until today. And you might have noticed there's nowhere to go. The wind cutting little eddies at your collarbones and behind your ear. As Dr. J drives from the foul line extended to the baseline, defended valiantly by Mark Landsberger. Let me just say to everyone who's listening, <laughs> who doesn't know who Dr. J is. Dr. J is the best basketball player of all time. Um, actually, Dr. J is like, you know, Michael Jordan before Michael Jordan. That's a good way to put it. And this poem is a, in a way meditating for a long time. Um, and departing from the meditation of Dr. J's probably most beautiful layup in the history of the NBA that happened in the 1980 NBA Finals against the L.A. Lakers. And you might have noticed there's nowhere to go. The wind cutting little eddies at your collarbones and behind your ear as Dr. J drives from the foul line extended to the baseline, defended valiantly by Mark Landsberger, who, in this poem... Despite the doofy urge to make him so, is not allegorical, but is rather simply a hard-working journeyman ball player with decent athleticism and size, and a floppy mop of dusty blonde hair, got caught up in the gust, sliding his size sixteens quick, so that Doc, after catching the ball at the elbow and taking one hard dribble toward the baseline, where the dunk would usually commence, could not access the paint or the lane, or the key, which is what we call the area nearest the goal, which in this case is an iron hole drawn in space and therefore implies a window, though the key makes it also a door that Landsberger, it seemed, was trying to keep shut. And so Doc leapt. He left his feet, which means more or less jumping with the ball with nowhere to go, and which were warned against by coaches from day one, for the ensuing requisite stupid pass, or more simply, though no less stupid, travel, also called walking, which the leaping often leads to. Keep your feet! Again and again, which makes the leaping, leaving your feet, sound sacrificial. The way in certain places, certain countries, or countries inside of countries, you must leave by foot with nowhere to go, which there is. 
And Doc, you should note, after the one dribble, clasps the ball with only his right hand without once at all in any shape or form using the left, which, among other things, friends, differentiates this move from all the descendant moves. Kevin Durant, Dwayne Wade, Steph and Giannis and Harden and Kawhi. Yes, Bron Bron too, I shall not be moved. And using only one hand, which is amazing but not yet miraculous, more a physical and therefore genetic fact, thanks Ma and Pa Irving, Doc's hand becomes an octopus gripping the ball, nothing like prey. And with that ball snugged in his mitt, Doc maybe kind of sort of thought something like, I am going to put this schmuck, the schmuck in this case being Landsberger, though do not please revert to a simplistic allegorization of the journeyman, which word I repeat advisedly, on a poster. Though schmuck is a word I'd be surprised to hear Doc say. And the word posterize, common usage, posterize his ass, you might be thinking is a bit of an anachronism in this poem in this move, which ostensibly occurred in the 1980 NBA Finals, though we all know nothing happens only when it happens. We all know nothing happens only when it happens. I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ross. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Um, and so, Ross, you read that for a couple of reasons. Yeah. One, because... <laughs> Our next program yeah. is sports. Yeah, totally. So a shout out to the sports department. Yeah, here. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's a book that that gets pretty deep on um, on basketball. It deep on basketball, but also deep on these other moments absolutely. where nothing is. I don't know. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Well, in a way, it's a long meditation on you know beholding the question of beholding. Um, the question is like, how is there a kind of beholding, or i.e., witnessing, or looking, or regarding? that is also a kind how we be might be holding one another. Is there a way to regard one another such that we're actually holding one another, tending to one another? And and that is an ongoing question. That's isn't the ongoing it? question. That's the ongoing Ross question. Gay, come back and talk anytime, please. Thank you. <laughs> please, thanks for this hour. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Today on Living Writers, Ross Gay, the book of more delights. Um, you can get it now. Uh, also, Ross will be reading tomorrow at UMA um, at 5.30. Um, and then again, the Craft Talk at 10 on Friday. I'm T. Hetzel. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time.
Hello. Hello and welcome to the Daily Sports Report on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor here on Wednesday, December 6th. My name is Jake Singer and I'm joined by my esteemed panel of Mayor Kustner as well as Alex Miller. How are you boys doing this evening? It's a great evening in Ann Arbor. Indeed. It's a fantastic evening indeed. We have a lot to discuss tonight. We're really going to primarily talk about some Michigan men's basketball tonight as the Wolverines are in a little bit of a skid right now as football season's kind of in a hiatus until they play the Rose Bowl on January 1st. Hockey team also is going to be in a little bit of a hiatus as well until January. So right now we're really just primarily focused on Michigan men and women's basketball. And right as all the focus is turning on them, you guys could probably tell it's probably not the greatest time for Michigan men basketball to be under the spotlight right as all Michigan fans are you know, celebrating the win of Michigan football. They're, they're really celebrating all their other programs as well. And now the men's basketball team is coming in here on a one and five streak right now, losing four of the last five games to six points or less. So really not an ideal situation right now for the Michigan men's basketball team. So I guess for you guys, my first question to you guys is just kind of to assess this team right now. As I just said, four of the last five games have been decided within six points or less. You know, what have you guys made from those late game situations and really what has not gone right for the team recently? So personally, I think what I think the team has a lot of potential, so that's why I'm not that worried about how the season is going to go. It's a young team, but what I have noticed is that is that they're starting off the fourth quarter very rough. They've been playing the first half very well. Um, yesterday versus IU, we were winning at the half, and then towards when it was getting to the fourth quarter, they're taking their foot off the pedal, and I think that's really the primary concern right now of them being able to finish out the games. I mean, I think the issue for Michigan offensively is Doug McDaniel is at times the only guard that really can get his 